2: Welcome into the lounge presented by DraftKings. We've taken a look at the film. We've heard from John Harbaugh on Monday. Now it's time to break down with a little bit more nuance and depth. The Ravens 27 to 24 victory over the Cincinnati Bengals. And, And let's start with the news, Garrett. We heard from head coach John Harbaugh on Monday. Had some injury updates. The biggest of which, Marcus Williams will not be having surgery on his pectoral injury, which means he should return. The game plan is for him to return this season. They're not putting him on IR, so they're they're expecting him back. Just how big a deal is that for the Ravens?
1: Yeah, it's huge. I mean, Marcus Williams is one of the highest-paid players on this team for a reason. He's a difference-maker on the back end of the defense. Now, I will say that Geno Stone, you know, was Mm-hmm. one of the best defensive players on the field on Sunday for the Ravens. So he stepped in to that role that Marcus Williams plays and did an incredible job at it. So I think that you want you want Marcus Williams on the field, but I think that, you know, Geno Stone is more than up to the challenge if the Ravens have to call on him for several games. The question is like, how long is Marcus Williams going to be out? Because the fact that they're not putting him on IR, if he goes on IR, he's out for four games. So I would think that if you're not putting him on IR, you think that you could potentially get him back under that, maybe, which seems like it would be very quick for, you know, even if he's not having the surgery. I I don't know all the medical stuff going on there, but that seems like it would be quick. But if you knew he was going to be out at least four games, I would think you just would have put him on IR and then use that roster spot elsewhere.
2: I mean – Again, I'm not a doctor. I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like once the swelling go down, goes down, he's going to play through this, right? We've seen guys play through kind of pectoral injuries before. Seems to be a, in large part a pain tolerance thing. We both know that Marcus Williams is a guy with a high pain tolerance. Yeah, you know, played played a number of series last year after breaking his wrist. I don't think came out of the game immediately after t- after whatever injury Oh, he didn't. Suffered I mean, I watched
1: pack. it. I watched it on when this happened in the opener. I saw it. and I saw him kind of get up, and there was discomfort. Then he played yep. through the rest of that series. Had a pass breakup. Had a, and then of course, like it felt like the next like four plays came right at him. You know, and it's like no hiding uh, out there. And like the next few plays came right at him, and he was able to hold up and. You know, I think broke up a pass and made a couple of tackles. So, like, I mean, he played through it small sample size a little bit earlier this season. And like you mentioned, played through the broken wrist last year. So, very high pain tolerance guy. Right, exactly. So, obviously,
2: by not opting to have surgery means he doesn't have to have surgery. means... Doesn't mean that, oh, I probably probably doesn't mean that everything's, hey, okay, it's great, feeling wonderful, no injury, nothing, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, Um,
2: right. But some, certainly a good thing to have him back there. I mean, the guy came up with the interception his first game back after the broken wrist, He's, you know, wearing a big old thing on his wrist.
1: To, yeah. Uh, kind of caught it with one hand, basically. Um. So well, I so mean, that's definitely good, very good news. Yeah, like that's a good point you bring up. Like last year, even when he came back, like he clearly wasn't a hundred, a hundred percent because he played with a cast on his hand the rest of the season. Right. Now, like it's not like he had that at all times, but he wanted to at least have that extra protection. So, like I, I, he this year he wasn't playing with a cast on his wrist. So, like he got back to a point a defensive back would prefer not to have be playing with one hand back there so anyway I, I think that's massive news for the Ravens and their secondary to have him potentially coming back and then you know Marlon Humphrey is another one who knows exactly when he'll get back on the field for game action but he's another one who the Ravens did not put on IR which again if he went on IR to start the season he would be out the first four games the fact that he didn't go on on IR, would suggest that he would be back under four games, so right. this week or next, um, you know. And then when it comes to the other guys on the injury front, he said that the uh, that with Odell Beckham Jr. and Adafé Owe, who both went down with injuries in Sunday's game, that those were not considered to be long-term season-ending injuries. So obviously, that's good news. That's probably a week-to-week deal. And so, I mean, could they play this week? Maybe we'll see.
2: Right. It's, it seemed like Odell, uh, to my eye. Uh, also kind of played after. It wasn't like there was an an ankle injury there and he came immediately off the field. Um, Looking at the film, I think it's pretty clear. You can see when he kind of hurts it and he plays through it a little bit longer. So it doesn't seem like it's a major, major injury for him.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, he came back on the field um, in the second half and stood on the sidelines. um, That also, yes, in street clothes. Yeah, which I think like is an indication that he's at least able to stand on the sidelines, which that's positive um, when you're talking about sometimes it's fair to do those injuries. And then, you know, again, just to keep, on, keep the ball rolling here on the injury front, like uh, Ronnie Stanley, Tyler Linderbaum, um, both of them did not practice at all last week. We'll see if they're back on the practice field. With all of those injuries, basically every guy that we just mentioned, it's in that short-term, week-to-week, day-to-day type thing. And so John Harbaugh is not going to get into any updates on that front. It's going to just be based on what the injury report says and what the practice status is of those guys. So the truth is, we're probably not going to have too much definitive information until it gets closer to game time on any of those players. But again, the or good at news least later in the week.
2: Yeah, the good news Wednesday is
1: always an indicator, and then you see where if they progress. Totally, totally. Um, the good news is that none of them, you know, are considered to be long term situations at this point. We do
2: have some negative injury news. Uh, Ardarius Washington, the slot corner, he's been playing really well, placed on injured reserve. The Ravens also brought Sam Mustifer up from the practice squad to the 53-man roster to take that roster spot. So not good news on Ardarius Garrett.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's disappointing. This is a guy who, like, obviously the Ravens have been hit hard, as we just spent time talking about, in the secondary with injuries. And Ardarius stepped in, earned his spot, was playing well as that slot corner, nickel roll, and I just really like what we saw from him. So really disappointing for him. Mustafer, you know, he gets called up. I don't know if that's any indication about Linderbaum's status, but with uh, Mustafer, they'd already used two practice squad elevations on him. And I felt like even when he landed on the practice squad coming out of training camp that the Ravens felt like he'll probably be on the 53 at some point this year. That's so my prediction. My, my 53-man prediction comes <laughs> are you, true. Are you trying, to get, back? You're trying to get that uh, revision <laughs> history there? You nailed it. Um, yeah nailed it and uh I guess the other possibility here is uh Arthur Millett. he's been a yeah. he's been inactive the first two games veteran corner who the Ravens did keep on the 53 this may be his his pathway to getting on becoming a game day activation uh for the Ravens and stepping into that I mean he might be playing a lot in that nickel role if our dairy you know with their Darius. 100 percent
2: yeah I mean here's a tough tough slot corner the Ravens signed. he was with Pittsburgh the last few years I thought it was before his injury having a strong training camp uh, was playing really well, especially good around the line of scrimmage. Just a very strong tackler uh, could certainly see him playing some more but it's a it's a hit losing our Darius. He was, like you said, he was playing well. so
1: that's a bummer. The hits keep coming in the secondary, but hopefully we get Marlin back. so yeah, and we'll maybe say. Marcus Williams back relatively soon, you know so maybe maybe that's um you know you tough news with our Darius, but maybe we get Marlon and Marcus Williams back soon.
2: All right. let's move on to the film and what we saw uh, this week and I'll kind of kick it off. I mean, to me, it was Lamar Jackson, really looking at his, his tape. I was just so struck by how calm and comfortable he looked. It was really a, a very stark difference from week one against the Texans when the timing, when he was ready to throw, did not match you know, when the routes were developing and coming open. Uh, just It didn't seem in sync. You know, He was under a lot more pressure against the Texans, um, in part because that timing was not there. You know, he and the routes were not timed up with with where he was. Um, That created pressure situations. He was just... I mean, it looked like he was calm, cool, and collected back there. I mean, just a walk in the park. Uh, It it was really remarkable to see just how he was processing things and just kind of slicing and dicing the Bengals' secondary.
1: Yeah, I thought Lamar, like, command of the of the game of the offense was was really excellent and that's kind of what you're speaking to like he just seemed totally comfortable back there Uh, he let plays develop I just thought like he did everything like uh, really well And, and so what I mean by that like he took, he took the deep shot to Zay Flowers and flew, threw a pretty deep ball to Zay Flowers that Zay went up and made a tough catch on. But, like, great deep ball to hit Zay on that play. He threw a perfect pl- perfectly placed ball to Nelson Aguilar for that touchdown. He well, ran. talk about a, a perfectly
2: placed ball. Perfect. The Odell, Beckham, the Odell Beckham throw early in the game. I know oh. it wasn't a big play. It was like a seven-yarder on the sideline. Opposite hash. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> He whips one to the sticks I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a pick six if it's a foot inside.
1: Well, that, yeah, it just seemed like his placement was great. I mean, the, the Aguilar play, like, it doesn't get any better than that. Perfectly tight spiral, great loft under it, let his guy go up there and make a play, run under it. I, I just thought that was great. And then, and then when he needed to run, he was able to do that. So, like, the, the, that is such a dangerous element of this offense And I think that, like, we spent a lot of time talking about how the call run game, it's not going to zero, but it's going to be a smaller piece of the equation than it was in past years. And I think that, like, but the scrambling, that's definitely not going away. And his ability to to scramble in some key moments, again, it's the command thing, like having a a feel for when a play breaks down, when to run it, when to wait for a play to develop and then throw it. Like, he he really showed a great control and command of all that. So... I just thought it was an excellent game from Lamar.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also notable in really watching the film too how Todd Munkin helped keep the Bengals off balance. A lot shorter, uh, quicker, get the the ball out of Lamar's hands quicker. So through his first two games, uh, Lamar's average time to throw is 2.6 seconds. That's almost a third of a second, 0.32 seconds quicker than any other season in Lamar's career. Mm-hmm. It's pretty pretty noticeable difference. Right? Getting, e- yeah, getting the ball out of his hands quickly, getting him into a rhythm. You saw some quick snap stuff. You saw him, you know, certainly run down the clock and all that stuff. Like just keeping the Bengals off balance. I thought it was really, and that certainly, you know, the the getting the ball out of his hands faster absolutely helped his offensive line too against that pass rush.
1: Yeah, well, that kind of goes to the next point, which I think the offensive line. I don't know that we gave them enough credit. They're down Stanley, down Linderbaum, going up against a talented front that the Bengals have, and they play great. Pat McCarry stepped in and played great at left tackle. Sam Mustipher stepped in at center, played really well. The, this is a kind of a stat that stood out to me: the pressure rate that Lamar faced on Sunday, nine point three percent. It was the lowest pressure rate of his career, according to Next Gen stats. Yeah. That. Speaks That's to incredible. getting the ball out quickly, but it also speaks to the quality of the offensive line and their ability to hold up against the talented defensive front. I, I just think that like those guys deserve a ton of credit. Morgan Moses, Kevin Zeitler, like John Simpson, the, that is that group deserves credit for holding up, giving Lamar time to throw. It's like no secret that. Any court, Like, Lamar's better when he has time to throw. That's probably the case for any quarterback in the league. And I think that he had confidence in those guys up front, which, which then allows you, as a quarterback, to have the command that we just spent all that time talking about and praising. Like, if you have confidence that you're not going to be getting hit every single play, then you're going to stand in there for that extra half second and be able to wait for a play to develop and then deliver the ball accurately down the field.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, uh, I thought it was particularly notable, too, against the Blitz right i mean that was something we saw week 1 give the the ravens a little bit of problem the cover zero stuff that the texans brought out was a little bit of an issue saw the ravens adjust to that in week 2 and lamar not only did they block it up really well and, and some of the problems in week 1 were just seemed to be communication lapses guys not blocking the right person right or be on the same same snap count for example that all got cleaned up in week 2 Saw him pick up the blitzes really well, saw the adjustments. There's one uh cover zero blitz where they brought it. They ended up dropping out a, a line, middle linebacker kind of late, but um, you know, they, they certainly showed the cover zero and still brought extra pressure and the DBs were playing ten yards off. They just took a eight yard, I think it was an eight or nine yard slant to Nelson Aguilar over the middle. Like easy. Let's just we'll we'll take that, right? And having those quick answers and Lamar Jackson, knowing what those answers are and hitting them. That, that immediately will cut that stuff out, right? So so we'll take it. You want to give us that? We'll take eight yards on that. Cool. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I thought that was pr- particularly notable. Morgan Moses, by the way, you know, absolutely to your point, Pat McCary and Sam Mustaford deserve credit for stepping up in a game where the Ravens' offensive line was banged up. But... Morgan Moses is playing some ball. He's dogging out there. (laughs) Dog. I mean, you don't think of Morgan Moses as a guy that's like clobbering people out there. You think, ah, he's a nice guy, gets the job done. You know, he's physical, but like, yeah, he's too nice for that. Morgan (laughs) Moses is dogging out there. (laughs) I mean, he lit up Mike Hilton on one, just kind of like, said, nah, you're not going to shoot that gap, and just leveled him. Yeah. And it's not the first time he's done it this season. It was also interesting to see that the Ravens used some unbalanced line and some creative stuff with Morgan Moses, so he moved over on a couple of occasions to left of center. All right, so Sam, then I think it was John Simpson, then Morgan, then Pat. In an unbalanced line, did it Mm -hmm. twice. One for like I think an eight or nine yard gain to Gus. The next one for a twenty yard gain to Gus. Mm -hmm. So some kind of and then Zeitler would pull would pull from right of center over to make a a block, and you had just um, uh, Isaiah Likely was on the end of the line just kind of walling off his guy. So it was really some creative kind of wrinkles on some of the pooling concepts that we've seen in Todd Munkin's offense. But I don't really recall from last year even. Ronnie Stanley going left of center in an unbalanced, or not Ronnie Stanley, Morgan Moses yep. going left of center in an unbalanced
1: line. Morgan is like really, like, I love him and his versatility. Like, he can get out in space. He's scary on that play where he it was, it was Mike Hilton that he decked on that on that mm-hmm. right early drive. Like, he is, that is a scary man running downhill at you. And the Ravens do like to get him out there in space on the pulling and like use him cre- creatively. Like, yeah, I, I just, I love his, his versatility and like that athleticism that he brings to this line. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a scary thing when he gets out there as a lead blocker and you're a DB or a safety or even a linebacker and you got 330 pounds of Morgan Moses running downhill at you. Good luck. Good yeah. luck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to be that guy. Hey, when you, when you mentioned the cover zero thing, I'm curious to get your thought on, you know, Lamar said on that, um, on the play the big play to zay flowers that mm-hmm. that was a cover zero play and you know zay had said earlier in the game they they ran that look and based on what they saw they felt like that was going to be there for him and lamar said that basically on the bench as they as that they were looking back at some of the the film or the the photos from some of those from that earlier in the game and they basically saw that like it's going to be Zay one on one with the corner and he can go up there and try to make that play. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of times like when it comes to the cover zero stuff and the blitz beaters you think of like okay the blitz is coming get the ball out of your hands quickly. But that's a that was a deep throw down the field where like the line has to hold up to give Lamar time to push that ball down the field and Zay to get open and also yep. to see everything happening. Uh, what what is your take on that on that play and this kind of like that that route that big play option to beat the cover zero blitz? Yeah, I didn't. I
2: didn't go. I didn't find the previous play. It wasn't really a cover zero blitz on the fifty-two yarder. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. It, I mean, their linebackers. Yeah, it just wasn't a cover zero. Um, they, they had a four-man pressure. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Um, and so they had max protect on, and he just went over the top. Maybe the one that they were talking about was early in the game. Lamar definitely had a shot to Zay that he missed deep down the field. It was a little bit too far. He threw it. Uh, Zay had a really quick win off the release. Now, this one was more of a cover zero. They had everybody up at the line. It was press coverage, three wide, and uh, they they brought the heat. And that's when when Lamar kind of stepped up, had a little pressure in his face, and he sailed it a little bit too long for Zay. But he gave him a shot. Um. I don't know if that was the one that Zay was referencing. Like, you know, basically give it to me again. Give me another shot. Like we had that um, because they absolutely did. And Zay, I mean, just torched the guy off the line of scrimmage.
1: Right, you might be right, because what what Lamar was saying was they went cover zero when he was open on a post, and I had to get the ball out of my hands. That probably was... Yeah, so that's probably the one that he's referencing. And then basically on that big play, he said he noticed the safety driving on the crossing route. And then he basically said that Zay is going to be open from... uh, You know, he's going to be open because he has the ability to run away from the corners, and that's exactly what happened. That's 100% what happened. Yeah. Exactly. Which I think... I, I just give both those guys credit. Like, I just think that, like coming back to this like Lamar's command his mastery of the game he's in year 6 so like you see things it's it's things aren't new to you you have a good idea of what defenses are going to do how they're going to play you um i just think that like that then mm-hmm. allows you to have confidence in a moment like that to say all right you know here's this is going to be a moment where i have a chance to push the ball down the field i've seen it my receiver saying one thing like all all of that i think is a nice um It just speaks to his mastery of the game. Yeah, for sure. I mean,
2: I I think, too, one thing that I noticed uh, uh, on a couple of throws over the middle, I think both to Nelly, one to Mark, um, just Lamar's Lamar's ability to manipulate defenders, uh, wait until those windows pop open and really throw over the middle. Now, he's thrown over the middle consistently pretty darn well, but I think having the kind of the patience to let something develop pop open in the second window, manipulate, you know, wait until, uh, you know, the linebacker takes a step to cover that underneath route and then throw it right behind him, Just really calm and confident. And I think also speaks to the more robust kind of passing game that Todd Munkin has, has brought to Baltimore. You know, you just see a little bit more windows, more layered, more spacing, you know, it's certainly with the three more three wide looks, you see a lot more spacing in the Ravens offense and in their route concepts. And so seeing Lamar uh, kind of wait to wait to, for those windows to open up and hit him was another impressive thing in this game.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, let's take a quick break. Then when we come back, we'll dive into some more conversation about the game and also take an early look ahead to what this week's game against the Colts has in store for the Ravens.
0: Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. He scored. Go to blinds.com for 40% off site-wide and a
2: 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for 40% off site-wide at blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: All right, we're coming to you from the Seat Geek Studio here on the Lounge Podcast, and we want to give a shout-out to our friends at DraftKings, which is an official sports betting partner of the Baltimore Ravens. They've got a limited-time offer you don't want to miss. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, use the promo code FLOCK if you're a new customer, you can get a deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's only at DraftKings Sportsbook and the promo code is FLOCK. Please play responsibly. For help visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call ain't 800 gambler You got to be 21 or older and physically present in Maryland to play. Um we so, got to talk about the defense now, right? Well, one thing I want, last point I wanted to hit on, last point I wanted to hit on with, okay. with with the offense, and I actually said this to you when we wrapped up the uh, post-game podcast, I don't think we gave enough credit to the offense for grinding out the game at the end. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Ravens are up, this, the Bengals have a long drive, they get the touchdown, kick the ball back to the Bengals, kick the ball back to the Ravens, basically four minutes left. You need two first downs. And the Ravens were able to get it, and like we've seen plenty of times in those situations where you don't get it, and then you put the defense back on the field, yep. And then it's a tough situation for the defense, and it's hard to stop teams at that point of the game. But the Ravens were able to grind out the grind out the the win, basically move the ball on the ground, get a couple of first downs, and seal it. And like I just thought that like going back to the offensive line that was huge for them. Lamar had great command in terms of his ability to run. Um, I just I just thought that. That was a huge moment for this offense in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, it it reminded me of the win over the Chiefs uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, you know the Lamar keeps it on uh, fourth down, right? Fourth down plunges forward, and, and what the kind of momentum builder and the kind of confidence builder that that can have on a team to finish finish off a really good team with the ball in your hands and just pound it at them at the end. Uh, like everyone a, in the
1: stadium knows you're running it. You know yep. you're running it. They know you're running it. And it's just, all right, mono and mano. And well, who, can, yeah. who, who can, it's like all the cliches. Who wants it more? Who wins the one-on-one battle? All that stuff. And the Ravens got it done.
2: Well, that was straight power. I'll tell you who won that battle because I broke that film down. Pat McCarry, John Simpson were in the in the lead. And then you had a kickout block. You had Zeitler pulling around. And, uh, and they brought in the big guy, Fa'alele on the other side of Pat McCarry. so that they, they ran it right behind McCarry though and uh, got the job done and so a really good job of just power football at the end of that game with Gus the bus I mean is there a better closer than Gus the bus also no, no short not. yardage closer give me that guy right yeah, and uh really cool to see at, at the end of that play you see Morgan Moses and Pat McCarry just kind of skipping down the field and like you know slapping each other on the chest and and just the moment for those two guys with considering the game the offensive line had just a, a really cool moment
1: yeah i'm with you I, I i just think that yeah again going back to the the quality of the offensive line i just think all of that plays into it but now you want to talk defense all right so so let's let's talk defense and I think you know I think Mike McDonald's getting some well-deserved credit this week for uh just the way the defense played you know he kind of shot down my question earlier in the week when I was like hey you guys have done a pretty good job of limiting Joe Burrow and he was like no we haven't they beat us the last two times so Shut it, Garrett. Mike's
2: Mike's not going to be the one that pats himself on the yeah, back. Yeah, shut can, it, Garrett. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> I do enjoy that. You know, you know, I love it whenever that happens. So, but. well, in Roquan in the locker room after the game, yeah, we're not shorthanded. Garrett. <laughs> Garrett. Yeah, uh, you, you just been getting hammered you've been getting the hammer drops lately you're in my territory
1: <laughs> you're but, catching up to me buddy i'm catching up i'm catching up you've got you've got let me tell you you yeah, got, got a way to healthy go. lead a healthy <laughs> lead you might have laughed at me but i'm catching up um <laughs> but uh he you know so but mike's getting credit peter schrager talked about him as his coach of the week this week um giving him praise for the way the ravens limited joe burrow um, it, they've done a great job of that going back the last two seasons, and this was another indication of it. But so, so when you looked at the tape, what did you see? Why were they able to limit them?
2: Well, certainly, you know the the play of Geno Stone kind of uh, was a, a huge catalyst in this. Obviously, his interception was was the play, defensive play of the game. I think in, in what they did so well to limit them was they the Bengals were getting the ball out of Joe's hands pretty fast, which certainly played into the Ravens' lack of pass rush. So they were kind of content to hit these, you know, four-yard outs, the kind of quick hitter stuff. They did not take many shots down the field, in part, I think, because the Ravens do such a good job and Mike McDonald of kind of clouding the picture, moving guys around. You saw, I, I saw them using their versatility uh, a, a pretty good amount, right? And and you, you really don't know pre-snap what Roquan Smith and and, uh, Patrick Queen are doing. Because they're always, you know, they could be right in the, the A gap, ready to blitz, or they drop out so often also. So that really clouds the picture. All of that really clouds the picture for Joe Burrow. And he ends up taking, a lot of times in this game, he ended up taking the first kind of clear throw that he was given. And then point number two is rallying and tackling. The Ravens tackled really well in this game. Patrick Queen specifically. I thought tackled extremely well. I mean, you saw saw a couple quick passes out to Joe Mixon and and Patrick Queen just hunts him down like a dog, <laughs> right? I mean, one time he rolled up, ripped the dude's shoe off. He I said, know. I'll take the tackle and I'll take your shoe. I know, and then he just kind of <laughs> tossed it. <laughs> and uh, I just thought like... Again, you know, we we were really talking about the inside linebacker duo after the Texans game, and again, and I think even Patrick Queen stood out even more so in Week Two. Just those guys and the way they're dictating games is pretty remarkable.
1: I, like I feel like I, I say it, it's on repeat every week with them, but they're they're just playing at such a high level that like, yeah, dictating games is a good way to put it. Like they are, they're the emotional tone setters, but like their ability to fly all over the place. Roquan's, Roquan is always in the right place at the right time. And Patrick Queen is, is tremendous sideline to sideline, cleaning up anything out of the backfield. And I think the Ravens have a good defensive line that doesn't let a lot through. And if it does get through, Roquan's there to clean it up. And it just it makes it really hard. It makes it, yep. and, and when you have like this, this secondary that was down Marlon, it was down Marcus Williams, and you think that, like okay, well, this is going to be a chance to potentially... You know, against this great trio of wide receivers and Joe Burrow, like you think, okay, well, this is going to be a time where the Bengals could tee off potentially. Well, they kept things in front of them with, I think that was part scheme, but I think that the way that Roquan and Patrick Queen just make life so difficult in the middle of the field – and anything out of the backfield, it just is. It makes it hard for the offense to get anything going. And I and I do think that there is like a tone-setting element. I like. I really think that like with the way oh, those sure. guys like hit, like the Bengals know it's going to be a physical game. Like you don't want to get hit by Roquan Smith coming over the middle field. You don't want Patrick Queen coming mm-hmm. downhill at you and laying you out. And I think that like you you feel it when you play the Ravens, especially with with PQ and Roquan in the middle right now and yep. that's, that's a real the kind of thing. stuff that goes beyond the film yeah that that's a real thing <laughs> yep. and i think that like that has a bearing on how these games are being played out and i just it's an interesting like as you know it's great it's it's just great i love watching those two guys and like we you know it's really an off-season question can you keep them together long term i i hope they can because these two these two players next to each other are difference makers and 100 100 I, I, it's just it's they're awesome they are awesome
2: yep Talk, talking about tackling uh one kind of under the radar play that was really big was the kyle hamilton tackle in the fourth quarter <laughs> the was thrown uh, we, 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 out we, we earn, talked about
1: it. we both we both knew that it, that could have been six oh,
2: sitting sitting next to each other in the press box oh my gosh i almost spilled uh, my that, skyline chili Yes, exactly. That was that was an exhale moment watching that one on film and how close that was. It was it was pretty wide open. He, maybe maybe he doesn't score, but he could have. Atta- he he possibly could have. Certainly on a seventy six, what would have been a seventy six yard touchdown if Kyle Hamilton doesn't make that tackle. So that was an impressive play by him. Really, the Bengals only hit one one kind of biggish play. It was a thirty some yarder on a misdirection, kind of tricky play, a uh, little little ball handling flip it back out to Mixon on the outside, and Kyle Hamilton came crashing down, kind of took the bait, and uh, Joe Mixon slipped out in the flats for a long game. That was the only real mistake, like, bad mistake on film that I saw. You know, in terms of coverage, like, also give the, these corners without Marlon Humphrey, give them a lot of of uh, props, too. You know, some some guys, you know, there's was Ardarius Washington had to, he slipped on one, you know, there, they're, of course, you're going to give some up, but, like, Pretty darn good coverage by these corners. Well, you know as what it well. is. You know what it is. Oh, podcast bump.
1: Yeah, I mean that's what it for was. Brandon
2: Stevens for sure.
1: Brandon you Stevens bump. podcast bump. The rock, the rock, rocky scene comes back. Friend lounge, and it's it's the it's the it's the delayed podcast bump. That's what it is.
2: Oh, percent, hundred percent. The podcast
1: bump is alive and well. As we're recruiting guys for the podcast this week, uh, we're letting them know. Like, you know, Brandon Stevens came on, steps up, shuts down. Jamar Chase, like, 100% a result of the interview that he did with us. So, you know, you want to come and get some of that good juju, come on the podcast, and who knows what could happen for you this week.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, I I thought the the defense tackled really well. And then we have to talk about the Geno interception. Okay. A, kind of what happened on the play, which is Geno Stone sees Jamar Chase's one-on-one with Brandon Stevens on the outside, uh Jamar Chase, what's funny when, when Gino talked about it after the game, he was like, oh, Jamar Chase had an outside release, so I knew Brandon Stevens had the kind of the, the boundary, and I could cheat inside. What's funny is on film actually, no, Jamar Chase released inside, right? But Gino was kind of watching Joe Burrow's eyes, and, and the play should have worked. It, it, you know, they the Bengals kind of set it up well. The, they ran it a similar play early in the game. And the Ravens had it covered. The second time they ran it, and T. Higgins went the other way and popped over the top of Roquan Smith, right? And so Burrow, kind of to what Roquan said, Burrow thought, here we go, high-low game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it over Roquan's head. It's going to be wide open. Well, Geno Stone was watching Joe Burrow and saw that he never really looked out towards Jamar Chase and just broke on that thing. Just a, an amazing play. And then the debate, the greatest debate of the week, Garrett, is could he have picked sixth it <laughs> what do you, what do you think what's your take
1: uh yeah i think he could have really okay i th- i think that he i think that he could have i mean i'm not saying it was quite as easy as it looked at first blush but i think that the potential was there for her to for him to bring that all the way back um he he took it to the outside which I understand why he did. I mean, he caught it in the in the middle of the field was kind of clogged up. He's moving in that direction. If he had cut it back, I think he had a legit chance to take it to the house. I don't. Again, I don't think it was like a gimme. we're, we're he's getting crushed a little bit, and people are acting like it was just like a gimme. It was just like sitting there, like all he had to do was walk across the goal line. I don't think it was that easy. But I think that had he played it right, let me ask you this question, okay? If you're gonna say, if you're about to say, it's not gonna be. Or is your take that it was not a pick pick sixable? Uh, no, I think
2: it was pick like if sixable. Reed, if Ed Reed I think it was. It off. Oh, Ed Reed would. Uh, okay, hundred percent. Ed Reed put, brings it back. Hundred <laughs> percent. It was pick sixable, but I don't think it was. It was like, oh my god, that was absolutely should have been a pick six.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I again, I think he's getting crushed a little a little harshly. Um, but it it it, it could have been there. It could have been there.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean
1: the blockers were there. They like he had like
2: three or four blockers. There were like three or four Bengals in front of him, but the Ravens also had like three or four blockers. So if we get a a hat on a hat and block that pretty darn well, uh there's a chance. There's a chance. Yeah. Uh but anyway, props props to Geno Stone. Like we said at the top, I mean, dude had his best game of his career. And so I you know what? I'm not gonna dog him. I'm not gonna dog him too bad.
1: Yeah, I'm am with you. Um, all right, so this week, obviously, Colts coming to town. You know, th- some questions. Um, the, what's Anthony Richardson's status? Is he going to play? Do they do they play it safe with him and, and be cautious? I mean, that would be a tough assignment for a guy coming off a concussion to then have to go out there and play in a road environment in his third NFL game. That would be challenging. Um, you know, I, I think certainly this is a game that you feel like the Ravens should win. They're two and zero what is your kind of early thought on this, on this one?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot, you know, part of it has to do certainly with the the status of Anthony Richardson. Uh, You know, he, he's been good. He's been really good. The first two weeks he was off to a hot start in week two. Um, You know, so he would add another challenge if, if he's able to play, we'll see on that Gardner Minshew that, you know, he's a, a good backup quarterback who can get hot, you know, we, that's the thing, like I don't know. Like Gardner, I, I think Richardson is good.
1: Man. I don't I'm not convinced that like the uh, you know that it, it necessarily sways things. It's for different reasons. Like Gardner Minshew can get hot. He can you know he's been a streaky quarterback that's delivered some big performances in his career. Anthony Richardson is a top five pick who has enormous talent and can be a difference maker with his legs as well. Also has a huge arm. So like they have different bring different strengths to the table, but I don't like I don't know which one, you know, the I don't know that who plays necessarily changes, you know, that like.
2: Right. That's going to determine the winner.
1: No. If, and for different reasons.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think that's fair. I mean, the Ravens are the stronger team here, obviously. Um, but, you know, I thought John Harbaugh set the tone pretty well uh, this week and said, hey, if you're not getting better, you're going to get passed in the NFL. That's just the way it works. Every, every week, I, I just think, you know, John, you know, you know what I think about John. He's a great leader. And I think he just knows the right tone to set and this week it's we have to get better. We, you know we're two and0. we're one of only two two and O teams in the AFC the Ravens and the Dolphins We're in first place in the AFC North alone already. So we're in good position here. but if you think that you know you just won the championship against the Bengals, you thought wrong and if you're not getting better this week, you're going to get beat. That's just the way it works in the NFL, and this is the classic "quote unquote" trap game. Come back home against a, an opponent that you know you are better than. Um, but I, I think the the Colts have done a good job scheming things up for Anthony Richardson. I think that is the difference to me between the two. Is like they they've done a good job scheme wise for him, it could be because of his unique talents. I think they become a little bit more predictable. Let's say it's a, a more traditional offense if you don't have Anthony Richardson in there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, and we'll keep you posted this week on injuries as well. I mean, we cover, we, we hit the status of them. And I think that like the practice reports over the course of this week are going to be really telling, you know, for a guy like Marlon Humphrey, could he come back and play in one week? You know, he's coming off foot surgery. So could he get back on the field and practice and play on Sunday? You know, if he's if he's a full participant all week, then you feel pretty good about that. If he's limited all week, then it's more of a question. I think, you know, the same goes for some of the other guys in that mix as well. I mean, I think it's going to be Wednesday and Thursday are going to be really big in seeing whether Tyler Linderbaum or Ronnie Stanley practices. The other guy I'm just curious to see, like Mark Andrews. You know, I, I think, fingers crossed, he's just good moving forward, but, of course, he missed the opener, then was limited for much of last week, played, scored a touchdown, looked really good. But how did he feel on Monday morning? How did he feel on Tuesday? And how what is that injury, that quad injury, something that lingers at all? Or is he good to go and he's a full, full participant um, back on the practice field on Wednesday? I just, you know, fingers crossed that that's not something that, that lingers. Yep, totally. Thank you for listening. Uh,
2: as always, we'll be back with you. Or uh, as always, you can reach us uh, by email at, the lounge at ravens.nfl.net And we'll be back with you later this week with a player
0: interview.